The scripture reading today is from, will be found in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. Okay, Romans 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness oppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give God thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of resembling mortal man and birds and animals and every creeping thing. Therefore, God gave them up to the... Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, of evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they knew God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I, uh, as I shared with you last week, grew up without faith in Christ uh, until I was 30 or thereabouts. I don't remember the exact date. During those years, uh, at my time in life, we experienced in this country and in the Western world what's called the sexual revolution or sexual liberation, where the Judeo-Christian values of marriage of a man to a woman were lost and have increasingly become lost in our time and culture. And I grew up in that era. Uh, I think back to my uh, youthful days as a uh, young guy in co college and in high school, and, and the one thing on a guy's mind, and some of you will relate to this, I hope most of you won't, was that all we were after was premarital sex. 
that's what women were for, and that's how we viewed them. And uh, it wasn't until I became a follower of Christ that I came to realize that uh, God had a different plan. Uh, Chris, I, I don't know where you went, but uh, you have been in my head with those three songs uh, just reviewing my life and uh, how desperately I needed grace. Last night, I spent about an hour awake under conviction of God of the sexual sin in my life. But what was also refreshing, as I remembered, was how close I came innumerable times to doing something that would be so disgusting, and I walked away. Somehow the Spirit of God was working in me, even before I believed, to convict me of the wrongness, how, how awful this stuff can be. And I'm so, I was so grateful for that, but also so convicted that this is a subject that cannot be non-addressed in the church in this day. So, thank you for being here. I, I pray I can deliver it with grace and truth and love, because that's the God we worship and serve. But it is a hard, hard message. Let's pray for His leading and His work in us. God, I'm totally unworthy to speak uh, of your word, to uh, try to unpack the truth of the gospel as it's revealed through uh, even uh, the abandonment of people to sin. God, guide us, uh, open our hearts and minds to your truth. Use us this morning to uh, understand you more, to understand how deeply you love us and how massive your grace is in Christ God, it covers over every sin. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for every wrong thing we have ever done. And God, I'm so grateful for that. So grateful. And so grateful for what you've done in my life and in my marriage over the years since I've come to know you. Uh, God, uh, just use me today in any way you can to be an encouragement, a guide, a, a help to these brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but maybe some of you have had experiences a bit like mine. Maybe not. I hope you grew up in the church and you got this right from the beginning and you had a perfect life and you never, ever struggled with these things, but uh, many, many, many do. So let's jump in the text. Uh, uh, the context of this follows Paul's uh, teaching about uh, the power of the gospel. And, and in Romans 16, he talks and says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then, then he talks about this righteousness of God that has been revealed through Jesus and by faith. And then we come to verse 18 of Romans 1. And what Paul reveals here is not just what he said already about the revelation of God's righteousness and of the path to it in Christ, he unfolds for us here his wrath, his anger against unrelenting sinfulness against him. So join me as we read these words together. God, I want you to understand, God never condemns without reason, and he's going to lay out for us in the first few verses three reasons why judgment has come. Why the human race is under judgment. Why without Christ we will perish forever. The first of these is the suppression of his truth. 
It says in 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, this is the key, suppress the truth. That there is a living God. The God we're here today to worship. Uh, God revealed his wrath in this area just as he revealed uh, his truth and his righteousness through Christ. Uh, the, the reality is men suppress that truth. And we don't have to look far in our, in our society, in our culture, to see men attempting always to suppress the truth of God. And that leads simply to selfishness, self-centeredness, uh, a, a total uh, denial and or of rejection of God. Uh, Paul specifically lays out uh, how this unfolds in verse 29, or 19 and 20. He there talks about ignoring God's revelation. Suppression of truth results in denying, ignoring God's revelation. It says, therefore, what can be known about God is plain to them. Do not let those words run by you unheard. For what can be known... Known occurs many times in this section of Scripture. We have a mind given by God to know Him. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are, speaking unbelievers, are without excuse. Four things are unpacked for us in this verse, these two verses by Paul, in regard to ignoring God's revelation. The first one is that, number one, he can be known because he's made it plain to us. It's comprehensible to the human mind. We just need to look around and we can see the evidence of, of God. He talks about them being uh, shown since... Uh, 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 creation. So they've been around since the beginning of time. He says as well, they're plain. They're not masked. They're not hidden. The glory of creation is everywhere visible to us, and we can see it. It's plain to us. And in it, God reveals two things about himself, and we call this general revelation. This is available to every human being on the planet, and the Word of God says every human being on the planet has this knowledge of his divine nature, his eternal power. They can see in creation the power of God, and they can see the divine splendor revealed in the way with the beauty and perfection that he has created. Those are all available for us to see. It is a revelation of himself. It is the story of God when we look around creation and his love for his people. And to ignore this, to ignore God in this way, is to ignore one of the most basic truths of life, that there's a God who creates. Now, I know this goes beyond general revelation, but if you pick this book up and you read it from beginning to end, you will find that 44 of the 66 books in it describe God as creator. It isn't just Genesis 1. It is this whole book. Dan, we were talking this week about Job, and, and it just popped in my mind that verses, or chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41 is the most sublime declaration of God by his own word 
in a theophany, his presence here on earth to Job, of his role in creation. You want to talk about creation? There is plenty of evidence beyond just looking around out there, but the word tells us he's that. And, and, and what's happened as a result of that is those who don't believe, those who suppress the truth, those who ignore his revelation, pervert his glory. That's the consequence, so to speak. For although they knew God, knew God means without excuse, they knew God, they did not honor him as God, and they did not give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Four aspects fall out in this verse. First, uh, they know him, but they didn't honor him as God. They didn't exalt him for the being who had the power and the majesty and the glory and the wisdom to create. They did not honor him. They didn't glorify him by giving thanks to him for his provision. Every meal we eat, every breath we take, every pump and beat of our heart is his gift to us. And the most ungratefulness a human being can express is to ignore their creator and to, not, to deny these truths, to pervert this truth and this glory, to not thank him. And this leads to a darkening of the mind. You know, I, I can look back at those years when I wasn't a follower of Jesus, and, and I didn't think about God much. I, I knew something about you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't commit adultery, stuff like that. But in terms of a desire to know God or know more about God, it wasn't there. I was just dark, blind. My mind was filled uh, and futile in its thinking. And it says their, fuel, their, their foolish hearts were darkened. That's where I lived. Uh, without hope or light or, or even an understanding of my need. And, and what, what happens when the truth and the authority and the revelation of God is suppressed, pretty soon life has nothing. There, it's, it's, it's hopeless. It's without meaning. There is no fulfillment or hope in it. And if, if you want an example of that, go read the book of Ecclesiastes today. You think uh, the world has all the answers and all, all the wonders and all the satisfactions of life? God took Solomon, one man. He gave him everything this world could give to a human being, all the wealth, all the wisdom, the ability to, to build and, and to know and class, classify great wisdom and intelligence, a thousand women. And what did he say? The conclusion of life was without God. All is vanity. All is meaningless. Without God, there's nothing. I don't care how much abundance you think you need or, or want or desire or hope to acquire in your life. It will be meaningless without God. That is the message so far. We can suppress the truth, we can ignore his revelation, we can pervert his glory, and many, many do. The result of all this comes in verse 22 and 3. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. The reality, and we see this in our culture, our culture looks on us and those who don't believe the gospel or don't believe this book they look at us as fools. They look at us as unsophisticated. They look at us as people who need a crutch to make it through life, don't they? That's how we're viewed. But that isn't what the Word of God says. The authoritative Word of God says people who suppress the truth, 
who reject revelation, who uh, don't exalt the glory of God, they are the fools. Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The evidence of God is known to them. It is plain. It is clear. It is uh, understandable, and it reveals his divine nature and his mighty power. So to reject that in any way, to, to turn away from that, to, to deny it. Uh, and, and Paul was writing to people who were believers in Rome of, uh, of an explanation of the people around them and the culture in which we live. And, and it's the same for us today. It, it's, it's a diagnostic of our culture and of our times when people reject God. You know, we hear in our culture, uh, sometimes it's said, what, what's important is that you, you believe in something. You know, Christianity, uh, uh, Buddhism, whatever, uh, uh, Islam, what's important is that you believe something. Trust me, in Paul's day, there were more gods than we've ever thought about. And he was bold enough to declare that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul was an exclusivist. For him, there was one way to God. There was one place, source of truth, and it was Christ, and it was the Word of God. And that is the message and the truth that we need to embrace in a fuller way in our lives to, to stay strong in, in the midst of a, of a perverse and sexually deteriorating culture. God wants us to live for his glory and honor in these days. He's the creator, we're the creature. Uh, the second result here is, is that people are given over to trying to create their own gods, and we, we see that throughout Scripture. Paul mentions that here, if it isn't man, it's, it's animals. If it isn't animals, it's creepy things. And, uh, you know, we, we don't build too much idols today with our hands out of wood uh, and do the things they did in the ancient world, but we still have too many idols, probably some of us, some very real ones. could be power, could be wealth. It could be honor. It could be sex. It could be many things. And the reality is, anytime we go after those, it may be a serious indicator in our lives that we don't have God in his rightful place, that we in some way are suppressing his truth. In some way, we are ignoring uh, his revelation. We are uh, not honoring and upholding his glory. Let's talk about excuses for a moment. Do people have a, a way to excuse themselves for any of this? I, is it possible? Uh, and many ask this question, how could a loving God bring condemnation? And he's unpacked for us, laid out for us the foundation of his judgment on this world. Uh, do people have a reason or excuse for not believing in God? Absolutely not. He said it's available and known to all, all men. His divine nature and his eternal powers clearly seen from creation, plain to men. Does anyone have an excuse for not believing that that's true? Uh, they can make the excuse, but they really have none. Uh, you know, there's the old clock or watchmaker's theory. If there's a clock or watch, uh, there's someone who made it. Uh, and many reject that as a, as, as a reason to believe in God. And, and, and I would submit to you that God's creation is in, infinitely more complex 
and amazing and wonderful than any watch. <laughs> I don't care how cool your clock is. Uh, look at a cell and, and look at DNA, and you will see uh, uh, the perfections and beauty of God in ways that, that no watchmaker could ever make. Only a creator could create. And, and, and to understand that instead of trading it and worship him as the creator, as the one who is uh, overall. So, so what people do is, is uh, they choose not to accept that truth. They suppress the truth. Do, do people have an excuse uh, for his or her uh, rejection of God? Again, the Bible answers this question with no, they do not. He has displayed the knowledge of himself from the beginning of creation until this very day. All that we need to know of God is out there enough to make us aware of him, uh, to open our hearts to the special revelation that comes through Jesus Christ and, and, and being led to know him. And the Spirit of God is out there working in the hearts and lives of people. Jesus told us, do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I believe with all my heart the Spirit of God is out there convicting people of these very truths day in and day out. Somehow he kept me pure from some things. Somehow he awakened my heart and mind to his truth. The Spirit of God is still doing that. No one, no one led me to Christ. I went to church, got in a Bible study to find Jesus because my wife suggested I needed him, and she was really, really, really right. Well, let's move on because uh, the passage continues with these truths about God's response and, and his reaction to the rejection of him. It says in verse 24 and 25, therefore, and this is a result. Remember the word therefore is there for a reason? It's there for a reason. So this is the result. This is God's reaction to man's denial or rejection of him. Man general, man generic, the unbelieving man. Therefore, God gave them over or gave them up <clears throat> in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Uh, the idea here of giving over is going to occur twice more in verse 26 as well as 28. And this is God's reaction. He gives them over to their desire for freedom, uh, for the uh, utilization of themselves and their bodies for whatever pleasure or desire people think that they need or want. And so he gives them over to that. And, and the first case is to impurity. And he, and he mentions here for the first time this issue of sexual impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. But before the, we go there, I want to spend a little time on this idea of giving them over. Why doesn't God just stop us from committing these kinds of horrific sins and, and falling into this kind of, uh, of whirlwind that, that leads us further and further away from him? Why doesn't he stop us? I think it can best be explained in the love of God. God's love isn't coercive. God's love isn't demanding. And it's seen best in the account of the prodigal son. Do you remember that story where Jesus tells about the rich man who had a son that wanted his inheritance and he got it and he went off and he, he wasted it with prostitutes and drunkenness and then found himself in a, in a pig pen with nothing? And he went back to his father and he confessed his sin, that he had sinned against heaven and his father. He understood first that his sin was where? 
against God, but also against his Father. And, and so God, God allows us to do that. For God, our choices in life are a big deal. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose righteousness, and he works in us and empowers us to do that. We've beat this verse to death over the course of this study, but, but remember Philippians 3, or excuse me, 2.13 says, he works in us to will and do. It's his glorious work in us that, that changes us and causes us to want to do his will, and then he empowers us to do it, and, and that's, that's precious to God. We want our independence we want to use our passions for whatever we want to use our passions for. We want to squander our inheritance. I'm a prodigal. I don't know about you, but I think we probably are all prodigals in one way or another. And God in his graciousness allows us to run down that road a while. And then he brings us home to realize. And I never would have known the grace of God. I'm sitting back there weeping this morning. I never would have known the grace of God if he hadn't let me run amok a while. And to run into sin and to be selfish, and to, and to be mean-spirited, and to be arrogant and prideful. God, let me do all of this stuff to amaze you before he brought me to himself so that I would exalt him and glorify him and honor him and worship him. So he, he lets us, he lets us go down that path at, at times uh, before we come to him where we experience impurity in our lives. And then he brings us home if we're his. And, and he, he introduces here this subject of sexual impurity. And, and I don't know if you've noticed this, and I may not be right with this, but it seems like whenever you take God out of the picture, sexual perversion becomes the key focus of living without God. I don't know if you agree with that, but I do. Uh, it seems like whenever God's removed, then man's free to do whatever man's wants to do it, and it talks about giving over to this, uh, this dishonoring of our bodies. He, he's talking here about living without thought of God's righteousness or His holiness, to take what's precious and most sacred to God and to humanity and to squalor it, to, to waste it. The, the sexual relationship God desires between a man and a woman, we're going to talk way more about this at, at the, uh, the seminar, is to be precious, to be highly valued to be guarded, to be cherished. And it is that place where we experience what's called one flesh. I've adopted a new word, one fleshness. <laughs> I want to create in, in my relationship with my wife a greater sense of one fleshness, where we're more and more one. And I can't do that without God. And I can't do that without exalting Him and allowing his truth to so overwhelm my mind and heart with who he is and what he has for us and, and how he wants it, uh, you know, to, to be developed in our lives, first by loving our wives, but, but then the culmination of not just helping them become sanctified or holy before him, but cherished and nurtured, but also to experience that oneness we spoke of last week. That's the desire here, not sexual perversion or sexual impurity. It's all around us. You don't have to look far or think long before you see it. Uh, almost overwhelming our culture. I, I don't know, in the course of my life, uh, it seems like it has uh, uh, just accelerated 
exorbitantly. But again, remember, if we read this book carefully, we'll see that there's nothing new under the sun. We go back to the 18th chapter of Leviticus. You could open that now. And you will see every kind of sexual perversion known to man. Uh, I think the first 21 verses are about every human relation that can exist, and, and God is prohibiting sexual relationships between you know, fathers and daughters, fathers and brothers, wives, and on and on and it goes. And then he gets to, to the issue of, of uh, uh, homosexuality, and then he gets to the issue of bestiality or with animals. And I'm sorry, but that warps my brain. But that's, that's been around. It's been part of culture and the debased people uh, who've lived and, and have rejected God and have lived for passion alone without God's guidance and guardrails. And so that's what Paul's talking about. He, he goes on here to, to, uh, to flesh it out. And, and not only are they uh, people who reject God, not only are they abandoned to impurity, he says next in verse 26 and 27, for this reason God gave them up. Remember that phrase, he abandoned them. He gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, let me say a couple of things before we unpack this anymore. We are all sexual sinners, at least guys. I can't speak for you women. I don't know what goes on in your head. But Jesus says, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he's committed what with her in his heart? Adultery. Uh, I would guess that there's not a man in this room today. I could be wrong. I don't think I am. But I'm guessing there's not a man in this room today who's not committed adultery in his mind. I have. I don't know what you women do. I should ask my wife. She's too pure. She's never done it. She's, she's perfect. <laughs> uh, so, got a couple points in. I love you. I cherish you, dear. <laughs> so anyway, but the reality, what, what, what Paul is, is saying to us is, is that there, there is a, a, a giving up uh, of God's restraints and allowing people to become impure, to, to distort or dishonor their passions in this way. And, and, and he'll go on to talk uh, uh, and give us an example in, in a couple later verses of 20 different ways that, that sin is manifest by people who suppress the truth, who deny the revelation of God, who do not uphold His glory. All of it results in lives like this. And, and, and the first thing I want to say is I don't think there's any hierarchy of sins here. Sin, sin. And there's one solution for it all, and it's Christ and his death. But sin is sin, and, and, and God doesn't hate sinners. God doesn't hate people who, who are adulterers. He doesn't hate people who are homosexual. He hates their sin, but he loves them. And that's the same exact attitude we should have is that we're to love the sinner but hate the sin, to, to, to try to lead them out or help them or pray for them to find his power, his strength, his word, his truth to turn away. We can't clean them up. Only God can through his spirit and through his word. And, and so uh, as we think about these things, it's not to think of them in terms of judgment, but in terms of how can we help people who are caught up in this. And, and, and the scripture tells us plainly 
that uh, people can grow out of these kinds of destructive behaviors and habits. If, uh, well, they'll put this, the, the, uh, the passage up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It says there, and Paul, remember, Paul was writing the letter to the Romans while he was in Corinth. What was in Corinth? The temple of Aphrodite. It was a place of sexual perversion that we, we wouldn't even recognize in our culture, although we're getting closer. Uh, but every kind, of, uh, every kind of sexual perversion was there. Uh, he speaks in the verses leading up to verse 11 of the sexually immoral, the homosexual adulterers, male prostitutes, thieves, etc., etc., etc. And then listen to these words. And such were some of you. Some of the people in the church at Corinth had been homosexuals. Some had been adulterers. Some had been male prostitutes. Many had perverted the gift God gives us in human sexuality through these acts. But look what Paul says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's what God wants to see happen. He loves the sinner and wants the sinner saved and redeemed, but he hates the sin. So not only did he give them up to impurity, he gave them up to dishonorable passions, and also he gave them up to a debased mind, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that that is a powerful statement. They saw fit to not acknowledge God. They know there's a God, but they chose to say, well, there may be a God, but I'm not going to order my life under him. His rules, his guidelines, his truth will not rule my life. I'm going to let my passion and my flesh rule my life. That's essentially what this verse tells us. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, this this has got to break our hearts. I know it breaks God's heart. It's why he sent his son. God gave them up to a debased mind. That that is a depraved mind. It it is a mind that is so darkened that its creative power is given over to seeking out greater and more pleasurable wrong rather than embracing the goodness of God. That is a debased, depraved mind. And that's where these people who reject God and his knowledge will grow to, to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done. They sit around and say, well, and we hear this. It it should break our hearts. It does. So this passage ends with with a list of, of some of the outworking of this depraved and debased mind. It says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, 20, 20 sins here, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, hardy, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. This is the outworking of a debased mind, a depraved mind. Greater and greater evil and wickedness. And we see it around us. We see it in the lives of some people we know. And, and that's why I'm weeping in the back row. Thank you for the grace of God. 
that delivered me from that. And I don't say that arrogantly because it wasn't me. It was him. So he gets all the honor and glory. None of this is me. None of this is me. It's him in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. He ends with these thoughts in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve life, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is kind of the bottom of the sexual perversion food chain. When you get to this point, you know it's going to bring your death, but you still do it. And you're so, you're so debased in your thinking, so darkened in your thinking, you encourage others to do it with you. This is, this is the journey of the rejection of God and His revelation to us. And it leads to, to an awful, awful place, a place of darkness and judgment. Paul didn't mention uh, the judgment that comes for the rejection of Christ in this passage. He's just showing us the flow of sinfulness that develops in life for those who reject God and reject His truth and fail to exalt Him and glorify Him. So what do we do with this? You know, I, I was impressed as I was going through this. God first says this. He says, look around you. It's plain, it's clear, it's been there since creation. My divine power, my eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Everything about God that we know to know about his existence is evident to us. Special revelation, of course, leads us to Christ and to a greater understanding and knowledge of that. But all men are without excuse, the text says. So look around at that. But we can also look around and see that God has given over, he's abandoned those who are impure, those, he says in the scripture, uh, have uh, fallen into the sexual immorality, the, the, uh, the things he mentions here, uh, dishonoring their passions and debasing their minds. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It doesn't mean God doesn't want to save them. It just means there's a terrible path out there if there is a rejection of God. So we're called to reach out with the love of Christ wherever, whenever we can to them. To open the word, to open and, and, and give testimony to the truth of God in our lives and, and that we've maybe been delivered from stuff like this, uh, maybe like I have been, maybe you've been there. I, I don't know all your stories, but, but the reality is God lives to deliver us from this. And he's provided Christ in the gospel for us to find truth in him. But also beyond that, and, and what relates to this series is the fact that we live in a culture that is sexually perverse and, and sexually degenerate. And we live in the midst of that, and, and God doesn't want us to be caught up in any way or tainted by that world. So he calls us through this to, to set up the guardrails, to live in purity, to exalt God, to worship him, to not fall into this trap in any way so that it impacts us in a negative way in our marriages, in our relationships. God, God has created us as male and female. He's established sexuality, and he's set guardrails. He said, this is a wonderful, good thing in one place, in the marriage between a man and a woman, period. That's it. Nowhere else. Those, that is the place where 
we are to experience and express the joy of this good gift from God, period. Nowhere else. We live in a culture that, that has rejected that totally and completely. We have kids growing up around kids that don't believe that, that don't accept that, that don't practice that. So we need to set the guardrails for our lives, for our children's lives, and, and make sure that we understand uh, that all of this is a result of the rejection of God. And it is a t- an attack on the heart of marriage. It, it is an attempt to destroy marriage as we know it today. L- look at our culture. Marriage isn't upheld. Marriage often isn't between a man and a woman. Uh, we could go on and on and on. And, and the reality is God is denied. God is rejected when we don't uphold the truth of who he is and what he's laid out for us in this scripture to enjoy what he's given us and to love each other, to, to grow in this one fleshness more and more and more as we grow through this life. And sex is a part of that. It's a wonderful part of that. It is a culmination in some ways of that. Again, we'll talk more about this next week, but, but the reality is to treasure this and, and to guard it and to uphold it before God as his good gift. So how do we stand against the, the pressures of our culture and our time? How do we keep our lives and our marriages pure? First off, remember the words of this chapter, that, that, that uh, uh, God needs to be exalted when we come here to worship God, we're, we're standing against the world. We are exalting the God who made us, the God who saved us, the God who's delivered us from the power of sin through Christ. So when we worship, we need to worship with that kind of a heart. Thank you, God, that we can come and worship you for who you really are. Your divine power, <laughs> your divine nature, your, your godly power, it's, it's there. And it's so much more in Christ. So to exalt that and to live that out. Secondly, remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Understand this. Every one of us who've professed faith in Jesus Christ, is what? We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Can you leave the Spirit of God at home and go sin sexually? No. He's with you. He's in you. So, so to sin in that way is, in a, in a sense, to expose the Holy Spirit to that perversion because He's one with us. He's in us. We're sealed in Him. He indwells us. Psalm 139.7 says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Years ago, I preached through the attributes, the perfections of God, Stephen Charnock's book, and oh, unbelievable. But do not, if you want to sin sexually, preach or teach on the omnipresence of God. Wherever I go, he's there. Whatever I do, he sees. Whatever I think, he knows. And if I do something that displeases him, something, uh, uh, I grieve him. And so, so let those truths admonish your soul and strengthen you to stand against this stuff. And I, I don't know where you're all at, but last night I was so grateful. 
for the truth of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what? Pure, let's say it together. Purify us from all unrighteousness. If, you, if you're caught up in any of this stuff, confess it to God. He will purify you. He is, he is the just judge. He is the justifier. He will justify us in Christ and, and has already, and he will cleanse and purify us when we stumble and fall in these ways. So if you're caught up in it, confess it. Become righteous and pure in him, afresh and anew. Put off the sin, repent, turn away, and, and worship him for who he is. Chris. Let me pray. God, we're so grateful for your truth. Lord, these are hard, hard words. Lord, they're, they're directed to warn, to give understanding of what it means to live apart from you, to, to embellish and embrace the, the lies and the deception of this world that stands opposed to you. So God, help us, guide us uh, to live more fully in the power of your spirit through the truth of your word. Father, and if we slip or fall or stumble, God, we, we can be quick to confess that and be purified through Christ's righteousness. Empower us through your spirit and your word to live uh, exalting you and living in, in purity before you in every way. We give you thanks now in Jesus' name.